if something bad was going to happen, of course it's going to happen to me. And that was such a dark place when I look back at it. But you can't see it when you're in it. That's another thing. Um, But I think that's why you have a practice in becoming awake to it. So now if, if any of those thoughts ever enter my mind, whatever level they are, I can nullify them super quick and I don't indulge in them. But the words I was using long ago reinforced the thought patterns that I was telling myself. Mm. So no wonder I was injured a lot. Even when we moved to Colorado and later years after high school, like there were moments of just lack and that was all my doing. And by simply changing your focus and awareness and where you focus your attention, you can change that stuff. I'm totally a different person, I believe, than I was a long time ago. We always have kind of like the the rando person that just kind of hooks on. And on the first day, it was our, our new friend, Bev. And and she said, well, you know, are you going swimming? And I was like, well, we're actually going to meditate first. And she was like, okay, like just totally up for it. So I love that. Like so many people are, are up for this and open to this like breath practice and, and meditating and for athletic performance. Well, you know, I just wrote a whole book about it, but for athletic performance, there is nothing more superior for training the mind than meditation. Welcome back to the Yogi Triathlete Podcast. I'm Jess. I'm here with BJ and Clark. It's our September edition of The O Show, where BJ and I come together once a month to smack down life, things that we're navigating. We've been navigating a lot lately. And um, yeah, just come together, answer questions and curiosities that you guys drop to us and uh, reflections on racing and strategy, some things we're going to get into today. Welcome to the show, everyone. Welcome to the show, my love. It's great. Great to be here. Yeah, great to be doing this again. Landing, talking to you for a few minutes, sitting sitting still. We've been moving <laughs> moving quite a lot the past few weeks. Yeah, we've been in the uh in the Ironman Santa Cruz hustle, which has been lovely. Uh, but it's an energy expenditure for sure. Uh we returned last night actually fairly early, even with a stop. Um, I have some family actually that lives in LA. So we stopped and had a nice visit. And then uh, actually we're home by like 4.30, which is pretty incredible because so many times we're like blasting like an 80s and 90s music at like 11 o'clock trying to get through LA and get home. Um, But I'm feeling like pretty... I'm feeling that energy expenditure and pushing through the drive and then also like getting up every day at three o'clock, four o'clock, five o'clock, um, you know, five o'clock now feels like sleeping in and, uh, yeah, it's a lot, but it was a great weekend. So much fun. Yeah. It was just, it was good to be there with community and to meet new people. So people on the team, um, but also people who follow us and came to your book signing, uh, at Verve Coffee. That was cool. Um, and then finding and discovering Honeybee, this amazing restaurant, which is just a block from, or, or at the next street over from Verve Coffee, which we went to last year. And if it wasn't for Meg, we would have never really gone to explore that. Who's Meg? Meg is someone who reached out to us on social media who had been following us and came to the book signing at Verve Coffee. 
And then she came to our meditation the next morning on the beach and brought us this incredible orca stone from the bottom of the ocean that we put in the center. And like we did a meditation <laughs> before the practice swim on Saturday morning. And we must look like we're just it's just so against the grain. You know, where there was, I don't know, maybe six of us just sitting and I was leading a meditation and there's all these wonderful triathletes around us putting on their wetsuits, getting ready for swims, reconnecting with people. And it's like, it's loud and there's volleyball going on and there's, and there's music Music playing Mm -hmm. and, you know, there's a lot of unconscious behavior going on and a lot of fun going on. And it's like the perfect place to stop and get still in the middle of the motion and those folks that sat with us that day the yogis and did that meditation in the midst of all of it like that's i think that's incredible strength and bravery to literally just sit still and live against the grain when it's so easy to just kind of get caught up in in the fun and the excitement of it but if we're if we're not getting still (laughs) in the midst of activity around us, we're never going to know how to really find that inner calm because we find it in stillness, through stillness, and we have to stop. So I know a lot of people desire more calm and more mindfulness, but it's, you've got to you've got to take a step against the grain in those moments where it's so easy to not do that. That's where your practice pays dividends. So why don't people want to be still? It's just the mind, the mind is out of control. It's just out of control. It's, it's demanding entertainment. It's being entertained. It's demanding distraction. It's getting its distractions. It's fooling people into thinking like, oh, you got to eat this because your body's craving it. And that's what you deserve. It's, it's saying that I can't be a part of this amazing thing anymore because of this, that, or the other thing. And really that amazing thing is like going to get you everything that you desire. But what we forget is that anytime that we go to better ourselves, we're going to have resistance from the ego that really needs us to stay the same and really needs us to stay in the known as opposed to the unknown. So it's really just a matter of untrained minds. It really is. And, and this is a world of, of untrained minds. Um, and that doesn't mean that anybody is less than. It's just, you know, kind of like... Um, well, life will organize in a way so similar to like when a bird flies into a window or a glass slider and just kind of gets knocked down and the bird kind of shakes itself and, you know, has a moment. Like life will organize in that way time and time again until we learn um, that we have all the answers and we have all the calm and we have all the power and we have all the abundance and it all lives within us right now. And so, you know, folks, especially folks who feel like they just can't get a break. And I know how that feels like literally for the last 45 days, there's been a part of me going, Oh my God, please. Can I just have a break? Like, I don't want to learn anything new today. I don't want to traverse any more of this contrast. It's been, it's been a heck of a couple of months, um, that we've been navigating some life situations here. And so, but, but, um, but that's such a blessed place to be when you feel like you can't get a break because that's life just knocking you down, knocking you down, knocking you down, knocking you down until you say no more. 
And that's what it's designed to do. And so why can't we get still? It's just because the mind's not trained. It's just practiced and trained. I should say it is trained. It's just trained to the noise of life. It's trained to societal ideals and patterns of living and behavior and thought. And so it's trained that way. And But if, it, if you don't like it, if it's leaving you feeling subpar or anxious, you can train it another way. And because those well-worn patterns of, you know, pretending that running is meditation, it's not. Meditation is a sitting still practice. Well, like I said, I mean, eventually life is just going to, we're going to back ourselves so far into a corner where, you know, we have to say no more. Um, And that's what it's designed to do. Uh, So yeah, we can train it any way we want. It's just, we all kind of came into this assembly line of humankind and, you know, it's an ego world. So we jumped on board with that way of living, which the goal I think really is, it doesn't mean that we don't participate in the world. We participate in the world for sure. I pay my taxes, (laughs) you know, I love a good party. I love to dance, but we're living in the world, but not of it. And I think that's the masterful finesse right there. Um, and that has so much to do with realizing like that we are the creators of it all. So that place where you don't feel like you can get a break, that's your higher self, like continuing to push you down so that you can rise above. And it's, I'm not saying it's easy, and that's why most people abandon it. Um, but it's 100% your birthright to be free of the clutter in your mind. As you're speaking about that, I'm just thinking that back to disturbance. So the people that can't sit there like we did, surrounded by all those mm. other athletes and having the chatter and the conversations and want to be involved in it, choosing to actually be still and go inside, it takes a lot of it takes a lot of practice. It takes a lot of energy to put yourself into that and to stay in that because our tendency is to engage. You know, there'll be a topic that comes up that says, oh, I'm, you know, I, I use this wetsuit now because this one saves me, you know, on efficiency and it's more buoyant and I feel like I have a faster bike with it. And then someone else chimes in, well, I use this wetsuit. And, and then everybody gets on board and they're having this conversation about wetsuits because this is what I was hearing when we were sitting there and I was, choosing to, to shift. I was in that moment choosing to shift from that conversation to my breath or whatever you were, you, whatever because we were working on. Because it's activating the mind, right? And you're saying like, oh, well, I, I kind of- I have like, an opinion on that. Yeah, I, right. I actually kind of like my wetsuit. Yeah, yeah. exactly. <laughs> right? And then we're fighting like my, no, my wetsuit. And there's, a, there's an element of that for sure. Like, but you're saying because yours is more buoyant, it's a different brand that it, that mine is wrong. You know, so you see all this story and dialogue that goes in the mind. And as you walk this path and become more awake, you're going to see more of those, those conversations. You're going to be a witness to those conversations, but you're, you're more importantly going to be a witness to what thoughts you're having about that conversation or wanting to say in that conversation and interrupting that need or desire to like, I need to say, I need to prove myself. Like I need to, I need to um, fight for the wetsuit that I bought and why I bought it. And none of that matters. It doesn't matter at all. Um, in my experience, when you're trying to get calm, 
especially in an environment like that. Well, I like what you're bringing up there because it's we all sat down and I'm sure, I'm going to assume that we're more similar than we are different. And all of us maybe had thoughts about what was happening and what we were doing. And maybe even the, one of the things I kept saying in the meditation was like, slow down, like slow down and um, slow down in the midst of all this activity. But what you're saying is like the thoughts were still there. It's just, what are you giving your attention to? And that's the training. What are you training your awareness to be aware of? And in those moments, it's being aware of that quiet and that calmness within, which is, which is incredibly powerful, but it doesn't stop the thoughts. I was having thoughts too. Like, I hope everybody's okay. I hope Meg can hear me across the circle. I hope nobody feels uncomfortable. Like I was having these thoughts too. And, um, but I wasn't engaged with them. They were just coming and going and coming and going and coming and going, right? Um, Just like if you're at a party, people are coming and going. You don't have to like run to the door every time someone comes or run to the door every time they leave. Like you don't, like people are coming and going. Well, that's the same thing with with thoughts. Um, So yeah, that was really, really cool to have the group together, um, meditating together. And so we did that a couple days in a row. And we always have kind of like the, the rando person that just kind of hooks on. And uh, the first day it was our, our new friend, Bev. And and she said, well, you know, are you going swimming? And I was like, well, we're actually going to meditate first. And she was like, okay, like just totally up for it. So I love that. Like so many people are, are up for this and open to it, to this like breath practice and, and meditating and, um, you know, for athletic performance, well, you know, I just wrote a whole book about it, but for athletic performance, like there, there is, there is nothing more superior for training the mind than meditation. Yeah. I was thinking about how I agree with all of that. And I think it translates, well, I know it translates right to your performance on race day. I just recall being at the swim in the corral. I had done my breathing exercises. I ran along the beach. I got in the water a little bit and I'm standing there and I'm six rows back from the start of the race, super, super close to the front. And just feeling all the energy and anticipation of everyone around me and the conversations as I continue to go in, as I continue to focus on my breath and shift from everything that was happening outside to what I needed to do inside. And I remember so clearly just standing there doing the tense and release, breathing in that double, that 50% in, then another 50% in, and then tensing everything up and holding that and then letting it go and feeling this extreme like ripple effect of calm. Even though they were getting really close. I think there was like two or three minutes left before they would start letting four people go at a time every five seconds. And you know this, the five second buzzer, it's not very, you know, soothing. <laughs> it, it actually like echoes in my mind, echoed in my mind a few days before the race. Like I, something had happened, some noise had happened and I thought about the buzzer at the swim start for the corrals for people to go. But in Santa Cruz, I was super calm and and I, and I had a quick moment of like all the things that could pull me out of this experience, the cold water, the fog, potential fog that rolled in on Saturday, the chatter, the lack of swimming volume and intensity that I've done, uh, any sense of fatigue that was in the body from a restless night's sleep. There were so many things that could have pulled me out of it, but 
I continue to just be calm. And I believe that's a benefit of doing the constant breathing practice, of pulling my attention away from anything that's not helping, because it wasn't helping. And fast forward to running when my feet were going super numb, even though they started numb because of the cold on the bike, it was cold out. I just kept feeling that urge to stop and just, you know, stretch my toes and take my shoes off and just squish it. But I immediately was like, no, just keep going, squish your feet while you're running and they will eventually. And they did. And it was this, it was actually like a roller coaster effect. I would uh, tighten my toes up a few times while I was running and then my feet would feel better and then they would get all uh, tight again and numb again. So it was like a constant practice, but I could keep moving. So my point is, I didn't need to stop. And every time you stop, you're just reinforcing that pattern in your mind that says, I have a thought that says, I want to stop. I need to stop. I need to stop. And I wanted to nullify that. I didn't want to indulge in that. And so that was my experience. And I think this is why it's so translatable to performance. Because you want, if you're curious about getting that extra minute, two minutes, three minutes, five minutes on, the, on, on a certain uh, leg of the triathlon, it really comes down to those moments. Fitness will help and training is going to help, but I think awareness and focusing and deciding on what you really want, not what your mind may be telling you in the moment is where you're going to get those extra few moments. Yeah, because the mind is always going to base everything off of the past. So all those thoughts are based on the past that we're having. And I was listening to Joe Dispenza recently and he was saying like, <clears throat> when somebody recalls a memory, cause we hear a lot about that. Like, well, when I did this race back in, you know, whatever, 1934, um, that 50% of what we're talking about when we're talking about a memory is not even true. And so, because the mind is mixing and melding all of these things and experiences. And so, um, yeah, that's why just, deepening our relationship with present moment experience and presence. And I think presence is, if I was to define it, which I have many times, it's the ability to to be in a pure experience independent of the commentary in the mind. So sitting in that meditation on Saturday morning, really being in that pure experience independent of, oh, I hope everybody feels comfortable meditating in the middle of all of this. Like, I hope Meg can hear me across the circle. Like, I hope everyone is like able to slow down, but I'm anchored in the pure experience of the now, independent of whatever the heck my mind wants to be blabbing about. Um, And the mind is a thought producing machine. So if you're thinking, then your mind is working. That's great. But, um, but those thoughts are like, they're not even close to always being true. <laughs> so, um, and when we slow down and we really start to look at them, I don't know, in my experience, I want to know your experience, but when I started to really look at my thoughts and really hear my words, a lot of what I was thinking and saying were the things that really annoyed me in, with other people when they would do the same thing. And 
the things that I thought were unacceptable in other people or the things that I judged other people about when I really started to pay attention. And, and perhaps this is the reason why people will also abandon the work is because when you really start to get a look at yourself and I have never been described as, you know, uh, a pessimist or anything. I've always been described as an optimist with a grateful mind and heart. And, um, and because those are the foundations of, for under which I was raised. And, um, and I saw so much, I saw everything that I found unacceptable with other people and other situations. I found it all in my words and my thoughts and in my actions and without that ability to place myself in a experience of now so that I could actually see those things with an objective eye, um, I'd still be creating a lot of pain and sorrow for myself, you know? And I feel like now we're still, I'm definitely still off-gassing some of that, those negative boomerangs I sent out in the past. Um, but man, every day it's like, consciously not sending out negativity no matter what is being shot back at me. And, uh, and that is a brilliant byproduct of training your mind. So I'll ask you the same question. Um, you know, paying attention to your own words, your own actions, like back, back in the, you know, towards the beginning when you're really starting to get to know yourself, what did you find? About what you were seeing and hearing and thinking oh, in your own head. Absolutely setting myself up for a disaster. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, negativity probably masked in my words. You know, I probably mm. shared them in a way that internally I was feeling like, oh man, I have no chance of like whatever <laughs> the outcome was. But I would mask it in a, in a way that would... Um, sort of not reveal what I was really feeling, you know? Mm, ooh, that's so dangerous. Yeah. Because that's unconscious. And yeah. like what we don't look at will unconsciously use us. Ugh. Yeah. So I had to change that story. So unlike you, I definitely had uh, a negative Nelly sort of... Oh, I had that. I, I mean, I had that too. I think it's normal. But... You had a negative Nelly. Yeah, for sure. I mean, my senior quote, if it wasn't for bad luck, I'd have no luck at all. Oof. So. Did you make that up or did somebody say that or did you quote it from? I took it from something, I guess. I don't even remember so long ago. But I just remember being in despair in that at that time in junior, I think you, or you do it in senior year, obviously senior year book. But I was coming off that junior year and it really yeah. impacted me and it was defining me. It was defining being um, always injured, being less than, and not achieving what I could achieve. Uh, if it, if it, um, if something bad was going to happen, of course it's going to happen to me. And that oh, such a Oof. dark place when I look back at it. But you can't see it when you're in it. That's another thing. Um, but I think that's why you have uh, a practice in becoming awake to it. So now if, if any of those thoughts ever enter my mind, whatever level they are, I can nullify them super quick and I don't indulge in them. But the words I was using long ago reinforced the thought patterns that I was telling myself. Mm. So no wonder I was 
injured a lot. Even when we moved to Colorado and later years in uh, after um, high school, like there were moments of just, you know, lack. And that was all my doing. And by simply changing your focus and awareness and where you focus your attention, you can change that stuff. I'm totally a different person, I believe, than I was a long time ago. Um, and And that all has to do with mindset because it wasn't, it wasn't location. It wasn't a geographic at all. And, you know, I was able to do this in a really trying, challenging time in my life back, back East. Mm. So yeah, I, I definitely had, definitely had that voice in my head and thoughts in my mind, but it's good to now be free of that. And, and even to- just talking about it, like lessens its power, you know, and, and I, if, if anyone takes anything away from this, it's like we are more similar than we are different. And what you're navigating in your own mind is probably something I've navigated a hundred times, if not thousands. And um, But just opening up and sharing with someone or being vulnerable, my goodness, what happened to our skill of being vulnerable? Like, even if you just message us, like just putting it out there now gives you that chance to see it. And once you see it, you can say, is that true? Like, is that really true? Um, But talking about it is not enough. And that's where the work comes in, like shifting it and and replacing thoughts. And and eventually you won't even have to replace those thoughts because they'll be uh, more moving in the direction uh, of who you want to be in this world. And um, all right, I'm going to sum this part of the podcast up with my yearbook quote that I think is very suiting by Led Zeppelin, which I'm sure is not surprising to you. There are two paths you can go by, but in the long run, there's still time to change the road you're on. And so it doesn't matter where you are today. It doesn't matter. It doesn't matter if you just had a colossal argument with somebody. It doesn't matter if you just did something that wasn't kind It doesn't matter if you're listening to this and you're hungover because you drank way too much last night because there's just things in life that you haven't been able to get to the other side of. It doesn't matter where you are. It doesn't matter if you listen to this and you have just come out of an hour and a half meditation and you feel so peaceful. You will be tested. We will be tested. This is a school and we get pop quizzes all the time. And we get final exams, which we would call growth spurts, and they are painful and they are hard. But there is always, always a moment in time for you to shift and get on a path that brings you back in power of how your life unfolds because you now become the master of your response, which is 100% everything to the future that you're stepping into. Yeah. All right. Next topic. What are we going to talk about next? What do we, what do we got served up? Um, you want to talk a little bit about the Ironman world championship that happened this weekend? Oh yeah. So back to the road trip home, we watched the whole Ironman world championship. (laughs) Well, whoever was driving was not watching. (laughs) Who's ever in the passenger seat was certainly watching. We stayed within the lane. We were safe. Yeah. That was such an, uh, epic, epic experience. Uh, over there in Nice, almost had some FOMO of not being over there and and being able to to spectate it I know. or participate. And in you it. did qualify for Nice, but I you did. chose not to go. Yeah, 
and that's fine. I'm I'm at peace with that. Yeah. This race was hyped up. Um, it was actually hyped up in the opposite way for a long time. You know, people not taking their spots, myself included, <laughs> but to a different location. And it wasn't because it was in a different location. No, um, it's because you had a race on the calendar. Right. You had Santa Cruz on the right. calendar. So, but but what what came of it was a really fun, like um, extraordinary opportunity to showcase. Uh, pro athletes' ability to ride a challenging course, to add more dynamics in uh, in a run that's more spectator friendly for loops of a run. Whereas on the Queen K, I mean, you go out and there's nobody out there at, at times. It's kind of desolate. Um, so it, it gave the opportunity for athletes to consider a road bike versus a tri bike and saving weight and where to push on the climbs and when to recover. Uh, it just, it was really refreshing and i think the i think the feedback will be pretty will be pretty impactful and you and i were talking about it i think you had said like watch this momentum turn and we get to a point where maybe it's over there more often or people crave that one more than the one in east more than the one in kona so it's all momentum it's all choice and what once you're satisfied there's always something else there's the next thing and the next thing. So there will always be another thing, whatever that is. But I was, I was really impressed with Sam Lalo and his perspective of getting into this sport. He's been doing it for a long time. I think he said he's been doing it since he was four. And his family lives, eats, and breathes triathlon. And he kind of went all for it last year and came in second. And then nothing really happened all year. I think he had some calf issues and sickness and opportunities in the body. And then people kind of wrote him off. And then he showed up to race on the biggest stage again. And he does the same thing he did last year. He went off the front and just kept going and hoping people would you know, be able to, not hoping, but maybe people would come with him and be able to hold that pace. And he did it so well that he finished with enough time at the end of the race where the fastest runner still was, you know, a few minutes, a few minutes behind him. But it goes to this, um, this belief that, you know, is, is one enough? Is one championship enough? Like, is he already looking for the second one and the third one and how many can he win? And his response was, he's, he's fine with just one. The goal was to win one. And it's not that he's not going to pursue the, the, the goal of going for more. There's plenty of other things he can do, but he achieved what he wanted to achieve. And he's completely at peace if it never happens again. And that really resonates with something that, you know, with me where I've only done one world championship and can one world championship be enough? Although I'm striving to go back I'm completely at peace with having that one experience. It doesn't mean Sam or myself will not, you know, do the work and put the effort in and love the process to get myself back there or him back back to the championship. It's just not everything. And I think that sort of pokes a hole in society's belief that how could you not want more? You're at the height of the game, like keep going, like 
you got to get as many as you can. It's this lack mentality. Like you'll never have that experience again. So you better, you better get, get it now. And I love that. I love that. And I know he's outspoken in other realms. I think he, he's more the guy where uh, either love him or hate him, I guess is what he's been sharing. Um, but I, lo- I love his perspective. I love that it goes against the grain. And I think that's something we stand for, you know, going against the grain where you're really going to butt up against old habits and old beliefs and societal beliefs. And you're going to be questioned and you're going to be looked at a little bit differently. But I don't see any other way. I don't see any other way. I find joy in this process, in this journey and on this path. So he just inspired me a little bit in in that conversation and with his race performance. Uh, over there. So what does it inspire you to like, this is a question you would ask Mm. your athletes. Like what is it, what action does it inspire for you or belief or thought process? Just keep going. If I'm enjoying what I'm doing, why would I stop? And if there's room for getting curious about where I still have attachments, I think that's where I see what he inspired in me. Like where am I attached Mm. Um, still, even though I've done a lot of work on detachment and I feel fulfilled in the experiences that I have at come race day because I loved, I love the process of training. I love the build. I love, I love learning about where my mind is and body is at certain points. And I love feeling underprepared and overprepared and how I navigate situations based on that, not basing everything on what's happened in the past. So yeah, he inspired me a little bit to get a little bit more curious about that. Mm. Yeah, it was a. What's your takeaway from? I just love like the ex- I just love the excellence, you know. Um, I loved Patrick Langa, like his single pointed focus was so impressive. But what you can't see, right, are the thoughts in in the head. So I'm always, I would always be interested to knowing what the mental situation was, but also when you break your body down that much. Like when you're asking so much of it, you actually kind of move into uh, a presence because you have to, if you, if you get caught up in those thoughts, like you will stop, you know, you'll, you'll like Braden Curry. Was it Braden Curry? No, it was Bradley Weiss got a penalty and he got really caught up in the emotions of that, which cost him, you know, probably some time and for sure cost him energy. And was it wrong? No, absolutely not. It was totally right. It was what he needed. And I love the vulnerability. Like, let's continue to, to show that to the world. Um, but yeah, I mean, I, I love the excellence. I love seeing, I love the strength, like seeing Sam just go for it. And I think that's what it takes to win. So if you want to go to Kona, if you want to win your age group, like you have to risk it. You have to risk it. And you risk it in a way where um, it's not reckless. You know, it's right on that edge. Um, and, you know, maybe it does go over the edge a little bit, but you gotta <clears throat> you got to go for it because... If you stay safe, that's that's not that's never the number one position. Nobody has ever said like, "Oh, I just really stayed safe and I won the world championship," or "I stayed safe and and I and I qualified for the world championship." 
Um, but Patrick Linga, I, I love to see a beautiful run. It's just, he was so fluid and so strong and was not looking around. He was just looking forward, you know, and isn't that a beautiful recipe for life? Like, what do I love about watching him run? His fluidity, his strength, his ability to just l- look forward and not turn his head around. Like, isn't that a beautiful recipe for going after what you desire in this life? And also, like, he was going to the end. Like, he was going to keep Sam on the limit the whole time. Like, he wasn't like, okay, I passed Rudy, so I'll just get into third. I've already won it a couple times. Like, then he passed Magnus. (laughs) And then, you know, he wasn't that far behind Sam. And if there was more real estate, he was running faster than Sam. So I just really, I loved that. Um, watching him just as a machine, you know, the body. But the mindset had to have been pretty focused because to get a body to perform like that, you can't be falling apart mentally. Um, But I love that. I love the excellence at the top end of the field. I think it's really beautiful. It's really beautiful to watch. And he set the record. uh, Iron Man. Oh, he did. Fastest run, 232. Patrick Lane. At World Championship or on that course? Or I think it's just world championship. Wow. Yeah. I know it's a different course, but than Kona, but still 232, that's so fast. Um, so speaking of race strategy, you know, you've been racing now for a long time and you race, right? And and I do too, to to my own degree where I am in the field. Um but coming off of Santa Cruz, you had a top 10 finish. Um, I know you wanted, your desire was higher than that for sure, but pretty impressive out of, you know, hundreds of people to be ninth, uh, fastest on the day. What have you taken away from that race? And we are going to do a SmackDown with, um, well, we'll see who, who comes on. Uh, we haven't organized it yet, but that will be more about them than it is about, you know, you. So let's, let's shine the light on you for, for a moment here. What did you take away, uh, more information or things that you would do differently as far as strategy around racing? Yeah. Cause I, there is a, there is an art to racing that you need to paint. There's this canvas out there, uh, that's just blank when you're, when you've done all your training, kind of like what Patrick was in. He had, he had, had never done a 70.3. So he's got this blank canvas. Patrick is. Uh, one of my athletes who is on our team who lives up there actually in Santa Cruz. I think he lives off the bike course and he had done his first triathlon in Santa Cruz, a short Olympic one, a uh, similar course. And then this was his second triathlon, his first 70.3. Yay. So great. So, so great. I hope he's listening to this to spend time with you, Patrick. I just adore you. And I hope I get to spend a lot more time <laughs> with you. Well, we're going to Malibu. Oh yeah. Malibu. Yeah, Malibu. Yeah, racing it takes it takes time. I, I think to to find your recipe for success, and, and a lot of that has to do with what we talked about, which was presence and patience and trust and going for it and being willing to fail, but also being willing to succeed. And my racing has taken many forms over the years, and now I'm at a at a point where I'm fine tuning things in my race experience. The preparation is dialed in. Um, I don't, I looking back at times I've done 10 or 15 years ago and I'm pretty similar in, in respect to what I've done before. So consistency is not, is not the problem 
or I shouldn't say problem, it's not the really opportunity, but racing is that race environment, putting yourself in it. Uh, one example was the swim where I haven't done the volume. And what I took away from it is, yeah, I can do half the volume and spend less time in the pool. And because of my experience in open water and navigating and sighting and being comfortable, I can come super close to a swim PR every time. What was your swim there last year? It was under 30, It yeah? was 29 and change. Okay, so you did what, 30.03 30.03, so yeah. not that far, less than a minute. And I did a lot of swimming leading into that because I had that big season the last year. So I think, again, it shows you don't have to drag the past into the future. You can have a completely new experience. And then on the run, I learned I can run pain-free again. That was so... So joyful. I think there's a lot of people probably listening to this right now that are saying, I, I just want to run pain-free. Because I too would hear that from, from runners and triathletes, like finally able to run pain-free and I'm hitting the paces and efforts I, I could do. And I experienced that on Sunday and I experienced that in lead up to this race. And so my message to you, if you're listening here saying, I want that to be me, s- s- stay focused on that. It will come. Do you do the things that that are bringing you back into uh, health in the body? And for me, that was working closely with Lawrence Van Lignan of Inner Runner, uh, doing his Monday mobility, going up to see him when he actually lived here. Uh, Boulder just got a big bonus um, with with Lawrence moving there, and doing that religiously every day in some form and before runs and paying attention to the body and the hips and the activation and recovery and of course the mindset and believing. I believe I would get myself here and I believe I'm going to take myself further along and the evidence isn't there, but I believe it will come and belief is all that matters. What you believe is usually what you'll achieve so I play in that realm of possibility, of curiosity. And on this run, I'm, number one, grateful that I had no sensation, except for my numb toes, something I can work with. But nothing in the body. That was really, mm, that was a big win. And then second, there were moments there I was indulging in like, oh, I just need to ease up a little bit. And someone would pass me and I got on his heels and I hung with them as long as I could for that 20 or 30 seconds, and then I fell back into a faster pace than I was running. So many good, many good takeaways from it. Um, also opportunities on the bike, going out really strong and then not being able to bring it home. I've lost, I lost some time. And I, I think that in, if you're racing, you need, to, you need to finish, you need to seal the deal. You need to bring it home. And I was unable to do that on the on, bike. On the bike. So something I'll, I'll work with. It's not that the workouts and training and, and efforts and stuff weren't uh, helpful. It was just in that in the moment, my I was unable to push power. Some lack of activation in my high hamstring and glute just took over, which I've had randomly in the past. So it's again, it's body work for me. Um, but in the moment, this is what's so great. I just dealt with it. I was like, okay, I feel this. You're not me. I can continue to push. That's very painful, but that's okay. That's okay. I'm not the body. And I would do the best I could. Where do you feel like you took some risks? On the swim, 
I just went for it from the start. I just kept, kept, you know, I didn't do any. Normally I'll have like one or two moments when I just kind of like, okay, settle back. Like you've got a bike and a run ahead of you. I just went for the swim. Like if the swim was the only thing I had to do, that's what I was doing. And that takes a lot of presence and patience to keep moving forward. Same thing on the bike. Like you want to sit up, you want to ease up, especially with the packs of, of cyclists. Like you have the opportunity to not indulge in the drafting and you, you fall back or you have to surge past, you know, eight to 10 riders and put in a huge effort only and knowing that they're all going to come back past you again. So the mind plays tricks on you. It's like, I know they're going to pass me. Is this even worth it? Of course it's worth it because you're cycling faster than you would have. So I played that game. And then on the run, like I was saying, I just pushed. And especially the final five miles, I was running with this guy, Steve, from the Santa Cruz Triathlon Club, who I ran with out for the first few miles. And everybody seemed to know him. They had a big, <laughs> a big group of, of cheerers out there, support. And I kind of ran past him at mile three or four, from what I remember, or five. And I didn't see him again until we got out of the wilder ranch and we were running together again and he kind of just kept about five to ten feet ahead of me and so i just hung with him the whole way in so i kind of took the the support of all the crowds cheering for him his local community and used that for myself and i just you know targeted his back and just stayed uh there to the end so there's there's moments in racing where you you have to really ask what the truth is of the situation. It's really important to do that. That's how you benefit from all the fitness that you've worked on in training. Gotta, you, you have to separate the two. So that was a big win. And, and to finish really strong, I felt like my body felt good, my mind felt good, and I was excited to, excited to do something else. We'll see. Yeah, we'll see. We'll see what's next. Well, what's yeah. next is... Uh, I'll be racing Malibu in a couple mm-hmm. weeks, which I'm excited about. Um, and so I know one of the things that you love to do with your athletes is put together race strategies. What's your process with that? I take time. I step away. Like when I really want to write down the celebration day plan. Yeah. I'll sit down and then I, I move myself from it. Like I'll, I'll, I'll put some space in between it. Like even go into meditation. And kind of like, it's sort of like a thinkitation, you know, kind of like, what do I want to get out of this? Um, or what do I want them to pull away from, from these guidelines? And, and what are the words that can come through me onto the paper that will help connect them to what I'm exactly talking about in my race experiences, which is that next level, that belief and trust. And so I love to step away and then come back and then it's like a flood of like, okay, and I'm like typing, typing, typing. And they don't take that long because it just, it just comes in. So like five or 10 minutes and I'm done with the, with the race focus. And sometimes it's really detailed and other times it's just let them fly. It's literally like show up, get calm, do the breathing exercises, and then use this mantra to stay present for the entire race. And so it ebbs and flows. It depends on who the athlete is and where they're at in their process. Mm. But I love doing these. Uh, I always loved getting our little notes from Craig Howie when he was our coach back in Colorado. And he would just drop a, a note 
um, 100% belief in all in both of us because he was both our coaches. And yeah, I just remember how meaningful that was. Yeah, it's like you've got, I love him too, right? Like you've got the, it's like you've got your coach with you there on race day, you know, and if you honor, if you honor that strategy, at least with you, BJ, I've seen that when the strategy is honored, the success is inevitable. Um, but you gotta, you gotta, yeah, and it depends on what it is, right? Um, some people are more seasoned and experienced so they can have a little bit more freedom. Other people, it's like, follow this. And, um, but yeah, it's a, it's such a, I love, I know you love to do that. And, um, I see you take time and presence to do that for your athletes. It's beautiful. So, um, and how is it to race out there with your athletes? I love that. I do. I really do. And with Melissa. I've never raced with Melissa. Oh yeah, Coach Melissa was out there. She's going to be on the SmackDown. I think, yeah, we'll for get sure. her perspective. I got she some questions for her. Quite the <laughs> adventure getting from Pennsylvania to California, but uh, I think her she passed her tests with flying colors. Yeah. Um, all right, cool. So a couple more things before we sign off. Um, you know, a lot of people that even listen to this podcast a lot of you may not even identify as like an endurance athlete or whatever. Um, just to be clear, I think if we're in a human body navigating this, uh, this education of life that we are multi-sport athletes for sure. Right. Enjoyers. Yeah. Enjoyers. I love that. But the messages, so the messages are timeless and the work is always the same. Right. And so whether it's a race strategy or how do you go into this fourth round of interviews for this dream job, you know, and, and not get too clingy and show up as your authentic self and all of those things. And so we've had people come to us and also ask our other coaches and ask our other athletes like, I'm not a triathlete, but I love what Yogi Triathlete stands for. And, oh, but I don't run or my knees or this or that. So we put together a wellness coaching option for people that don't want to do an Ironman or don't like running. Um, And we're going to continue to expand this offering. But I just wanted to introduce that the wellness coaching that we now have up on the website we list, you know, what's included and I specifically say like included as you desire. So it's like an a la carte, right? And if there's something on the list that we identify as a pertinent service for you, then we just throw that in. And and so I even say here like, you know, although we list details, the coaching relationship is designed to be an ever morphing commitment to your greatest expression in life. Um, and so the one that's up there now includes BJ and I working with you as a team. And that can be through physical training with BJ and access to training peaks. It can also include custom mindfulness practice, goal setting, ongoing support through text and email, nutrition, lifestyle guidance from uh, influences of yoga and Ayurveda, um, includes four virtual sessions per month. And, you know, Maybe somebody just wants two, but they want to add, like, this is flexible. This is open. But the thing is, is that you have a team working for you and working with you. So um, we have some different options, three-month commitment, six-month commitment, and then also that you can work with either BJ or me individually with wellness coaching. But So I just want to take off the table that you don't have to be a triathlete. You don't have to identify as a runner to indulge in a life 
of longevity and well-being and that we have stumbled upon a recipe that has been our life for a very long time. And it's a very healthy, really powerful life where, you know, you can truly act from your authenticity no matter what is coming at you and that you can let go of what other people believe you to be or what their opinions are of you and None of this is easier, but man, those tools get so sharp that it does just become this effortless action that you remain high level no matter what. And high level, that doesn't have to mean achievement in modern day sense, but like high level that you're not really getting sick anymore. You're um, waking up feeling better. You're sleeping better. Things that used to spark anxiousness are, are gone. Um, so wellness, you know, overall longevity and wellness in your life because you want to live well, you don't want to just live long. So that is a new option on the website. And, um, so look for some expanding options with that, but I'm pretty excited that, you know, we've always talked about like, you know, we want to be inclusive and so anyone can join the team. And this would also put you, the wellness coaching, uh, would put you in that, that team environment. So, um, yes. So we'd love to, uh, we'd love to welcome you on if, if, being an athlete or feeling like you're an athlete has been a hurdle. We are here for you uh, in every sense for your wellness and your highest level of health because that's it's your birthright. And then um, Patreon, uh, we did launch some new tiers. I want to thank everybody for standing by us and helping us to keep this podcast commercial free. It's we we can I can't stress this enough. We cannot do this without you. Um, if you've been listening to this podcast for a while and it's on your heart to make that pledge, please do. Um, we're coming up on releasing season four of the Awake Athlete podcast, which is f- free and commercial free. And it costs money every single month. It costs money. Uh, and I need to get season four produced. Um, I get to get it produced. And, um, so any, you can join for as little as $5 a month for the month of September. If you do $10 a month and you pay for it, um, a year up front, which gives you a discount, we'll send you a signed copy of Awake Athlete. Um, and there's also a really special tier on there for a podcast sponsorship of this very show, the monthly O show. Um, for those of you that are entrepreneurs that, you know, those of you who have small businesses, if you want to share with the community, um, you can sign up for that tier and be a sponsor of the O show and know that once you get onto Patreon, you can move around, you can do the $20 a month and get the yoga video. You can hop into a wake athlete tier for $65 a month and do that for a month and see how that feels. And maybe you want to sponsor the podcast. So you pop up or you want to do a a one-off yoga session. All of these things are options. Like you're not locked into anything. You can come and go and you can move around within the community, but it's incredibly uh, foundational to the life of this podcast and the Awake Athlete podcast. And we are so, so grateful for all of you who have supported us through the years. And I just don't even feel like the words can say how I feel about your support. We're incredibly grateful. Yeah, so we should probably wrap this up, get on with our recovery from the trip and everything that we've been putting out there. And, um, 
get on to the next thing. So next thing will be Malibu. So if you're in the area um, and want to come and hang, I'm not racing. Clark and I will be there hanging out uh, September, Saturday, September 29th, 28th, something like that. Oh, for Malibu? Yeah. It is... Well, after the race, the Olympic distance is in the morning. After the race, they'll do a little break. And then the Super League triathlon will be uh, having their second to last event this year, um, which is, if you don't know what Super League is, please, please go check it out. It's a new format for triathlon. Super exciting, super quick pace, super fast, entertaining, uh, some amazing um, professional athletes who are most, if not all, are going to be towing the line to get to the Olympics, uh, next year in Paris. Uh, and the commentating is just, you know, killer with Will McCoy, who we had on the podcast. So, um, yeah. So come up there. If you're around, come spectate. Clark and I would be happy to see you. Yeah. When when is the date? It's Saturday. Um, September, okay, April was like, I'm like, April, it's like, I'm like, it's not April. Saturday, September 30th is the Olympic okay. distance. So I'll be racing and then, yeah, we'll be hanging out and watching Super League and chilling with Clark and, yeah, making a day of it and then heading back, uh, heading back to Carlsbad. So, um, yeah, come on out or let us know if you're racing. We'd love to meet up. Oh, yeah. It's a great Absolutely. time for me to deliver books too. So <laughs> let me know. I'm con- currently walking around with a box of books. Pack of books. Although I did get um, stopped at Santa Cruz uh, by our friend Lynn, and she was like, I need your book. And I'm like, I should totally have one in my backpack right now, and I don't. So lesson learned. <laughs> Hope to see some of you, all of you, any of you up there. Thanks again for the support and for tuning into this show. 